Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Fact or myth, is crypto only used by criminals? Could miners alter Bitcoin properties for their own gain? Is crypto worthless because anyone can create cryptocurrency? All myth, says a new report from blockchain analysis firm Chainalysis. We are crypto myth-busting today with Diedrich Van Wersch, International Director for Crypto and Web3 at Chainalysis. Good morning, Diedrich. Good morning, Michelle. Why has Chainalysis come up with this report right now? And do you think these 33 myths that the report tackles really points to a huge reputational problem that crypto has? Yeah, so why did we come up with this report? We, we came up with the report because we work right now in a very young industry. And as extension of being young, it's revolutionary and cutting edge, but it's also very misunderstood. But now crypto is increasingly entering the mainstream. It's not just a niche side project anymore. Your everyday citizen is hearing about crypto in their day to day. But these myths, these inaccuracies, they still exist. And it leads to doubts from politicians. It leads to doubts from the media. It just leads to your doubt from your everyday citizen. We believe a chain analysis that cryptocurrency has the potential to fundamentally change for the better our financial system and revolutionize the exchange of value. But that's not going to happen if these myths are still out there. So we want to help dispel these myths to propel wider crypto adoption. And we selected the myths that we feel are the most pernicious, the most common, the ones that we hear every single day. And we want to, we want to again, debunk, dispel these myths to help crypto reach the potential that we know it has. Yeah, these are myths that sort of have even saturated pop culture. You know, it's difficult to switch on Netflix and not come <laughs> across another crypto king or queen documentary. So let's tackle some of these pernicious myths, as you put it. Number one, is crypto used by criminals only? How safe is it? Yeah, yeah. Crypto only being used by criminals. So, look, with crypto, maybe with anything, it's often the bad news that makes the headlines. The news about darknet marketplaces, the news about a hack, the news about terrorism financing with crypto or an exchange getting shut down. And this leads to this conception from a lot of the mainstream public that cryptocurrency is predominantly, maybe even only, just used by criminals. And I wanted to spell this right off the bat by pointing to a statistic that comes from Chainalysis Crypto Crime Reports. This is a report that we publish every single year on the state of crime in the criminal space. Last year, less than 1% of all activity on the blockchain that we covered was illicit. Less than 1% was involved with criminal activity. So this conception that cryptocurrency is used by criminals is a wild, wild inaccuracy. Um, I think it stems from a few factors. Mm -hmm. One is just the fact that in crypto's earlier days, it was marred with negative stories, such as that of Silk Road. So Silk Road was a darknet marketplace where individuals could buy drugs between 2011 to 13, mm -hmm. and they could do so using Bitcoin. And this, uh, this was one of the first widespread applications of Bitcoin as a payment method. There was a time that about 20% of all transactions on Bitcoin were going through Silk Road, and it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth because this was the first interactions with Bitcoin. But now that blockchain analytics and investigators have improved, criminal activity is a very, very small part of, this, of the ecosystem. Likewise, there's also this other myth that crypto is unregulated, that it's the Wild West. Mm -hmm. And again, this, this had a degree of truth in the earlier years, 
But now there's widespread regulation. Regulation is a hot button issue. We see with Nico, the marketing crypto assets, a regulatory framework being built in Europe, which promises to be one of the most comprehensive in the world. And closer to home, Singapore, the monetary authority of Singapore, has been one of the most forward thinking regulators when it comes to cryptocurrency regulation. So it's no longer the Wild West. Uh, consumers can can sleep easy knowing that they are operating in a regulated industry. And the misconceptions, again, they just come, come from what makes the headlines. At the end of the day, the vast majority of airplanes land safely. The vast majority of crypto transactions are safe, but it's the ones that aren't. Those are the ones that are going to make the headlines. So illicit activity represents less than 1% of overall crypto transaction volumes. And that statistic from 2022, is that right? That is right. All right. And does the Silk Road still exist? No, the Silk Road does, does not exist. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty wild story. Users can look up on their own, but it's been defunct for uh, oh, close to a decade now. Let's talk about legitimacy and the myths that your report covers in this area. So one myth that caught my attention is this idea that crypto is anonymous, it's untraceable. Now, on the one hand, we know that blockchain is immutable, and yet, You'll, you'll find, like I say, in a lot of pop culture documentaries, another about another cryptocurrency individual caught for a scam. So, you know, the, the person on the street is trying to make sense of, of the two. If blockchain is immutable, how come so many people seem to be getting away with so much money involved in these scams? So what do you say to that myth? Crypto is anonymous and untraceable. Yeah, so I absolutely love this myth for two reasons. One, it's the one I hear about the most when I tell people I work for a crypto analytics company. But two, it's a myth that it could not be further from the truth. It stems from a fundamental misunderstanding about how blockchain technology works. With Bitcoin, for example, when when you generate a Bitcoin address, it's a string of letters and numbers that anybody can set up. Now, people assume it's anonymous, but really it's uh, it's rather pseudonymous. It's a static, publicly visible address that is tied to an individual or an entity. Now, if with that address, I want to make a transaction to somebody else's Bitcoin address, that transaction is listed on the blockchain, which is a public ledger that is visible for the world to see. So anytime I make a transaction with my Bitcoin wallet, my Bitcoin address, anybody in the world can go look up that transaction on this public ledger. So far from being untraceable, the blockchain is the most transparent financial system the world has ever really seen. And and don't just take my word for it that Bitcoin, that cryptocurrency was not meant to be untraceable. Satoshi Nakamoto, the anonymous progenitor of Bitcoin, actually cites in the original white paper that Bitcoin's uh, traceability or transparency is an advantage of the traditional banking system. I think the misconception stems from in crypto's earlier years, investigators did not fully understand blockchain yet. It seemed indecipherable. But then blockchain analytics, what we do at Chainalysis, developed as a discipline. And now law enforcement investigators across the world are very well equipped to trace the blockchain and catch criminals. Again, this also means due to the traceability, uh, going back to the previous point around crime, the reason, one of the reasons crime is so low is it's very difficult for criminals to get away with crime on the blockchain when anybody can see what you're doing. I'm reminded of a story in 2021 when a network, the Poly network, was hacked for $600 million. But every single time the criminal, the hacker, would try to move their funds, because it was visible on the blockchain, all of social media would just light up. I don't think there's ever been a more poor mechanism to launder funds than the blockchain. It is one of the most, like I mentioned, open, transparent, democratized financial systems out there. 
And uh, we, this is definitely one of those myths that we, we really need to put to bed for once and for all. Another myth that's interesting is that anyone can produce new crypto. People look around and they see all these coins bubbling into existence and a saturated uh, coin IPO market not too long ago. So help us understand, are cryptocurrencies worthless because anyone can produce crypto? No, they're not worthless just because anybody can produce crypto. First of all, with mining, it's very expensive uh, and, and it takes a lot of computing power to produce new crypto. And yes, while individuals can go and produce new tokens, ERC-20s, fairly easily, the vast majority are just worthless. And they will only really acquire worth if enough people believe in them and there is a real use case with real value. So while you will see some coins pumping up quite quickly, Usually those are very short-lived, and it's only the ones that have real value, real use cases that are actually helping to fundamentally help and alter the financial system that, that have any real legs or longevity. On that point of value, a question many have asked as we've seen cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum booming in terms of value is people wonder if investing in crypto is equivalent to gambling. So a prominent group of politicians in the UK have now called for buying crypto to be treated as gambling when considering regulation of this sector. So is there more to investing in crypto than the idea that you're just speculating? Yeah, so this is one of the most pernicious myths. This is one of those myths that's really a thorn in my side. And it's because it undermines the the vital use cases that we are seeing in crypto. Now, I understand where this myth is coming from. It comes from the fact that speculation drives at least some of the usage of crypto we see today. And and the fact that we talked about the headlines, a lot of the quote-unquote good headlines you hear in crypto are about someone who invested $100 in some nonsense token and saw it pump tremendously and made them a millionaire overnight. And now other people want to do the same. And, and when you hear stories like that, it seems like cryptocurrency is a casino, but to characterize all of it as gambling denies the existence of other more societally beneficial use cases we see today, mm-hmm. particularly those in emerging markets, such as protection against the effects of currency devaluation, use for day-to-day transactions where payment rails are inefficient, and faster, cheaper cross-border transactions, as well as a, an ability to circumvent more authoritarian regimes. So I was on this show last month to discuss the Chainalysis Adoption Geography Report. And this is a report that goes country by country and looks at how are individuals in those countries really using crypto. And we find two things very interesting. One, this region, the region we're in right now, Central and Southern uh, Asia, this, this is one of the foremost regions when it comes to cryptocurrency adoption. But also the adoption index is dominated in its top 20 by lower middle income countries. And this is because there are tremendous use cases in crypto that can help people in those countries. Take Pakistan as an example. In Pakistan, P2P or peer-to-peer exchanges are being used widely, and that's due to the near 30% rate of inflation in Pakistan, uh, which is, uh, in in all likelihood, much higher. Uh, Individuals are investing in stable coins, which are tied to the value of dollars or other fiat currencies, to protect their assets from depreciating, to protect their assets for their children, for uh, for their own futures. And we see the same in other countries. Much further from here, I, I saw a story in Venezuela that which it's governed by an autocratic regime at the moment. And in order to get funds towards doctors during the COVID crisis, cryptocurrency was used and it, it managed to raise the average doctor's salary or the amount of money they had to help their, uh, their citizenry from 3 to $5 a month to about $100 a month. So now we're seeing cryptocurrency being used as a means to 
circumvent authoritarianism, as I mentioned earlier. So for the individual in Pakistan who is using crypto as a hedge against inflation, for the doctors in Venezuela who are receiving crypto from abroad to help their uh, help patients in their care, cryptocurrency, it's not gambling. It's not speculation. It's not a game. It presents a, a form of salvation. It presents real world use cases. And I feel that there's a tremendous disservice to cryptocurrency as a technology in the industry when the stories that we focus on are just ones about someone who made a quick buck. Is part of the problem the fact that even in this part of the world, for example, for your report, which looked at Central Southern Asia, and mm-hmm. you looked at web traffic in these countries, a, a, a big chunk of crypto-related web traffic, for example, in the Philippines, goes to gambling platforms and gaming. And do you think that association, that sort of association, perpetuates this notion that crypto is speculative? Yeah, so if you look at countries like the Philippines, gaming is gaming is very popular. Now, I wouldn't say that gaming inherently has to be gambling. Here we have another interesting use case of crypto that is beyond uh, simple value transfer. You're seeing it being used for use cases beyond the traditional financial system. Right. And again, like I mentioned, there is definite truth to the fact that for some it is gambling, it is pure speculation, Mm -hmm. but we do a disservice when we simply dispel it down to those reasons. In Philippines, in Vietnam, countries that have high rates of gambling, we also, um, or uh, gaming for crypto rather, Mm -hmm. I also saw a report that cited those two countries as two of the countries that are the most unbanked in the world. I mean, individuals do not have, highest number of individuals that don't have bank accounts or access to traditional financial system. They can tremendously benefit from cryptocurrency blockchain technology. There was this dream that blockchain would bank the unbanked. So when we tell them that, okay, cryptocurrency is only being used for speculation, I think we are are holding them back from, from reaching their potential when it comes to helping individuals in these countries have more, have more financial access. We're crypto myth-busting this morning with Chainalysis Diedrich Van Wersch. He's International Director for Crypto and Web3 at Chainalysis. Diedrich, given the extreme price volatility that we've seen with cryptocurrencies, lots of investors listen to this show. This show. Should only seasoned investors get involved in this space? What do you think? Well, I'm not here to give anybody financial financial advice. So individuals have to do their own research and make their own assessments. And yeah, people have lost money in crypto. People have made money in crypto. Depends a bit which coins you're investing in when you're coming in. But that's for any one individual to to make an assessment of themselves. But when it comes to volatility, there's there's no denying that there is volatility in crypto. But I think we also have to keep in mind that when it comes to let's say having crypto as a hedge against inflation, uh, that or or to circumvent the use cases I mentioned about, let's say, circumventing authoritarianism, those go further than just looking at the simple price of crypto. Those those have real-world applications and use cases. And there are cryptocurrencies that are are not volatile, such as stable coins. Stable coins are coins that are tied to the value of the dollar or the euro or other fiat currencies. And when I mentioned cases earlier, like in Pakistan, uh, where individuals are investing in crypto to as a hedge against inflation, those are often the cryptocurrencies that they're most interested in. So it's not even inherently true that all cryptocurrencies are volatile. Some aren't. So a lot of investors wonder about crypto markets' correlation with macroeconomic factors, or they're even looking at the long-term macro story around crypto. So help us understand, in March, we saw Signature Bank, a New York-based financial institution with deep ties to crypto, collapsing overnight. Depositors made a run on the bank. Many believe that crypto cannot integrate with traditional finance. Is this a myth? 
that is absolutely a uh, is absolutely a myth. And I think there are a lot of uh, stories like that in Signature Bank. There are a lot of stories from uh, also just from crypto, like the fallout from FTX, that have left individuals with bad taste in their mouth for crypto and and being quite skeptical of this of this industry. But we have to keep in mind stories like Signature Bank. These have nothing to do with with blockchain technology or cryptocurrency itself. This is not a failure that's inherent to technology. Blockchains, they're inherently transparent. And with the right guidance, partnerships, and tools, um, the cryptocurrency ecosystem can integrate very, very well with traditional finance. So due to blockchain's transparency, I think it's very interesting for financial institutions to consider using it more and more. Because let's say if I'm a financial institution and I have users using cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. I can see how those users are operating, let's say, off my platform. Are they sending funds to competitors? I can see, am I dealing with a high net worth individual that might have a lot more funds in another wallet? I can see what kinds of transactions they're making. This is an openness and transparency you aren't going to get from other financial instruments. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing more and more traditional financial institutions not just dipping their toes in the water of crypto, but really diving wide in. We saw BNY Mellon, the oldest bank in the United States. They recently launched a cryptocurrency offering to custody crypto funds in partnership with Chainalysis and Fireblock. I think they mentioned in their announcement that 92% of institutional investors have an interest in having exposure to crypto. With 92% of investors wanting that, uh, I think it stands to reason that the traditional financial institutions are going to be more and more interested in entering crypto. Closer to home here in Singapore, we saw the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the, the, local, the local regulator, uh, have launched Project Guardian, which is a public-private collaboration to explore how asset tokenization, how DeFi can make, DeFi being decentralized finance, mm-hmm. can make traditional finance more efficient. So rather than being at odds with each other or in, inoperable with each other, I would uh, argue that crypto, traditional financial institutions, there can be a, a wonderful synergy of the two, and more and more traditional financial institutions are awakening that fact. And if you are a part of a bank, don't be surprised if you see crypto offerings coming available in your not too distant future. Still on the point of, you know, reading the long term macro story of crypto and the role it can play in our world. I want to spend a couple of minutes maybe talking about the usefulness that cryptocurrencies and blockchains can play in business applications. Can you share a little in that area? Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to useful mechanisms in business applications, yeah, this is a subject people always think about cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, about facilitating value exchange. And that's perhaps the most common and widely known about use case. But it stems, uh, there's, there's a lot more to it than, than just that. The blockchain, it's a permanent, secure, trans, uh, traceable database, which means the business applications, they are really endless. So these could be business applications with supply chain management data management, logistics, healthcare, media, stock trading, uh, auditing. Okay, it's not the most exciting line of work, but these are still vital functions for thousands of businesses across the world. So to give you one example, I saw an instance where the Sustainable Shrimp Partnership, they are using IBM's Food Trust TAM, which is a blockchain solution for supply chain intelligence. They are using it to ensure it produces shrimp sustainably. So with their tracking and tracing capabilities, SSP can also share information about its products' origins with their retailers and with their own customers. So I didn't, I don't imagine on this interview you'd be hearing about the nexus of shrimp sustainability <laughs> and blockchain technology, but there you have it. We also saw that the Japanese automaker, um, Toyota, which everyone will be familiar with, they're using blockchain technology uh, to uh, through its Toyota blockchain lab. Keep in mind that, as I mentioned at the beginning of this call, 
we are still in the early days of cryptocurrency. This is a nascent technology. We are just seeing the first iterations of it. And I don't think it's come close to reaching its potential in the same way that the internet has not come close to reaching its potential after 10 years. And uh, I can only imagine the use cases we're going to be seeing over the next decade. Speaking of early days and potential, investors are always worried whether, you know, their investments are just going to be wiped out with regulation. So can we tackle a final myth that CBDCs, myth number 16, that central bank digital currencies will make existing cryptocurrencies obsolete? What's the argument against that? Yeah, I mean, the argument against that is CBDCs would be more centralized. They wouldn't have necessarily the same advantages that Bitcoin would. So Bitcoin being fully decentralized, not under auspices or control of any one specific government in the same way that CBDCs would be, um, means that they might not have, I'm not saying that CBDCs won't have a role to play, Mm -hmm. but they might not have the same appeal in the general populace or or appeal to the same segment of the population as, as traditional cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, would. So whilst I think there will be a role for CBDCs, uh, I don't necessarily see it as anything that will make cryptocurrency obsolete. If, if cryptocurrency was going to be obsolete, it probably would have happened over, at some point over the last 12, 13 years. We've covered a lot of ground, Derek. Diedrich, if there is one big takeaway, takeaway you'd like our listeners um, to, the, to leave this conversation with, what would that be? Yeah, one big takeaway. I think for me, the biggest takeaway is that the cryptocurrency industry is resilient. So when you look through all these myths right here, Mm -hmm. myths about how crypto is just used by criminals, how it's gambling, how it's not scalable, it's not viable. I think myths like this would have killed off any uh, other weaker technology and weaker industry. But rather than kill cryptocurrency off, cryptocurrency is thriving. It's a bigger than $1 trillion asset class. Um, So Cryptocurrency is able to survive and continue to grow despite that all these myths are here. And that, and that really leads me to believe that crypto is here to stay. Uh, the myths that we cited, they're largely baseless or inaccurate, but still much education is needed. Uh, and we at Chainalysis, we see it as very incumbent upon ourselves to educate the public and help build trust in blockchain, uh, in, in the blockchain technology that's, that promises to radically transform our future. Well, thank you for a really enlightening conversation, Diedrich. Thanks for your company. Thank you so much for having me. Diedrich Van Wersch is International Director for Crypto and Web3 at Chainalysis. We've been looking at their new report that busts 33 common myths about cryptocurrencies. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to the full interview, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.